Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. We would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 10.45 a.m. at our new location at 5103 Pegasus Court. To learn more about what Sunday mornings at Collective look like, please head to mycollective.church and click on what to expect. There are going to be a lot of great things at Collective this summer as Maryland opens up, so stay tuned for upcoming events and announcements as we continue to try to make an impact in our city. Now here's Sunday's message. Four years ago, I was invited back to my alma mater, Milligan College, to preach at chapel. And this was a huge honor because I didn't have the opportunity to speak at chapel while I was a student there. Every year, the seniors who were in the Bible program were asked to do a senior sermon, but I wasn't asked, and I kind of know why. Uh, I wasn't the best student while I was in college. I was very opinionated, and my mouth often got me in trouble, so there was no way they were going to give me a microphone. I also got into a significant amount of trouble, and the first week of my sophomore year, I had to sit down with the president of the college with a few of my friends to talk about our future at the college. And with three years left, he told us that we were all out of strikes, and if we got in trouble again, we would be expelled. Now, I'm not going to lie. I was 100% positive I was not going to graduate from Milligan College. I even remember calling my mom to tell her that she was going to get a letter from the school about my latest transgression and that I was going to try my best to graduate, but I wouldn't make any promises. And while I did do my best to not get kicked out, it was a bit touch and go the week before graduation because of an issue with a life-size taxidermy buffalo that was stolen out of a locked building and then went missing, but that's a story for another time. (laughs) So I drove to Tennessee and I was really excited to be there because I wanted a chance to show my professors how much I had grown since I graduated. I wanted them to see that I was a capable leader that I was a good pastor who was stepping out on faith to start a new church, that I wasn't the same person that I used to be. I was so proud of where I was in my life and my ministry, and I wanted to show that to the institution that had a major impact on that. And I preached my heart out. I gave the strongest challenge I could that I felt like would have a lasting impact. I shared my best story about a time I went camping and forgot a sleeping bag and debated whether or not I would have to spoon my best friend to survive because it was so cold outside. Again, it's a story for another time. Listen, you can hear stories about us stealing buffaloes and me spooning my best friend, or we can talk about mental health. And I think it's better if we talk about mental health today. You can't have both, okay? So after chapel, I was talking to a few students when one of my professors walked up, and I will never forget this. He patted me on the shoulder and said, it was good to see you. And then he handed me a folded up piece of paper, and he walked away. As I walked out of the chapel that day and got ready to head back to Frederick, I opened up the piece of paper. It was a printout from an email that I sent in 2006. And in the email, I was sharing my frustrations about Milligan's chapel services. I called them boring and pointless and wrote that it felt like they just let anybody speak without any discernment. Like I said, I was super opinionated and super mousy while I was in college and today as well, so it hasn't changed. But as I stood there reading that email, it felt like somebody ripped out my heart. It crushed me. Here I was, proud of the person I was and the person I was becoming 
proud of what God has done and was doing in my life. And a professor at my own college thought it was funny to show me that he didn't care about who I was because he only cared about who I used to be. He held on to that email for 11 years, 11 years. And to make matters worse, it wasn't even an email that I sent to him. It was sent to our campus pastor who wasn't even at the college anymore. And I don't know if he had been waiting for this moment to throw it back in my face. I don't know if he thought it was funny. I don't know why he did it, but man, did it hurt. And I carried that hurt for years. Today, we're closing out our series called Inside My Head. And before we jump in, I wanna say something about counseling and therapy. We've talked about this over the past few weeks, but if you are looking for help getting connected to a counselor, we have plenty of resources we would love to send to you. All you have to do is write mental health in the prayer request box on your connection card, or you can email info at mycollected.church and we will follow up with you this week. Now, here's the catch. We can't find a counselor for you. We have vetted them and we've put together a really good resource list, but you have to make the call. You have to show up. And I know that this can be scary, but please know that we as a church are standing behind you. Other people might not understand why you're seeking out professional help and some people might even judge you for it, but we won't and we're here for you. And so if you need help and you need a counselor, fill out the connection card and put mental health or email us at info@mycollective.church, and we will follow up with you this week. So today, as we close out this series, I'm gonna talk about shame. Brene Brown says that shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed because of something we've experienced, done, or failed to do, and therefore we are unworthy of love and belonging. Have you ever felt that before? I have. Because of all the emotions I felt after reading that email, shame was what I felt the most. Shame that told me that I was no better than what I was 11 years ago. Shame that told me that I was not capable of changing. Shame that told me that no matter how hard I tried, my mistakes would always define me. In the Bible, the word shame is closely related to the word disgrace. It's the sense of not being enough, of being unworthy, of being exposed in our weaknesses, of feeling like we are not worthy of grace, that we're not worthy of endless second chances, that we're not worthy of love. That's shame. And so many of us carry that weight every single day. And shame is something that we all experience, but shame doesn't come from God. It doesn't. Shame isn't a tool that God uses to try and force us to be better people. It isn't a pain that God lays on us so that we know just how bad we are and so we know just how much we need him. God doesn't passive aggressively use shame to get us to trust him. Shame doesn't come from God. In fact, it comes from the enemy. It comes from Satan. And we see this in the story of Adam and Eve. And last week, Dr. Matthew LaGrange shared with us that the first problem that ever occurred in the world was that Adam was alone. And once God solved that problem by giving Adam the gift of community and relationship through Eve, Satan begins to tempt them toward disobeying God. And it works. Adam and Eve eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil after God told them not to. Putting it simply, they sin. And this is what happened next in Genesis 3. 
At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. You see, shame comes because of sin, right? The primary way that Adam and Eve are described before they disobey God was naked and unashamed. They had nothing to be ashamed of. They were uncovered and exposed. They were vulnerable. But where there is sin, there is always shame. So shame comes when we disobey God, when we walk out of alignment with his teaching. And that could be past sin or sin that we're currently living in. Either way, shame comes from our own actions and our own decisions. And the shame of what we've done or what we're currently doing becomes crippling. It becomes paralyzing. And that shame leads us to the overwhelming sense of being unclean or dirty or stained. And a lot of us in this room feel that way because of things we've done. But shame doesn't always come from things that we have done. Sometimes shame comes from something that someone did to us, right? something that someone said to us, something that someone else decided for us. So you feel disgraced. You feel ruined. You feel used up and unworthy because of something, a sin, that was done to you. And that kind of shame is a very real thing. And a lot of times people who are carrying around that kind of shame blame themselves, right? And they think, I should have done better. I should have resisted more. I shouldn't have put myself in that situation, whatever it is. And when we do that, what we are doing is we are taking responsibility for someone else's sin and you are not responsible for someone else's sin. So let me be clear right now. You did not deserve what happened to you. You did not have it coming. You weren't asking for it. Are you with me? What was done to you is evil, it's wrong, and it was sinful, and it should not be allowed to define you. But for a whole lot of people in here, what was done to you or said about you or pressed upon you has become a defining moment in your life and your identity. And we desperately want to be clean, but we have no idea how to get there. So we live with shame. And when we live with shame, we tend to respond the way that Adam and Eve did. The story continues. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. They hid. They ran away. They avoided God. That is what shame causes us to do. Shame causes us to hide. And hiding looks different for each person. Sometimes it means that we physically hide. We isolate ourselves. We avoid people and pain. We avoid intimacy and relationships and God. We hide so that we don't have to deal with the shame that we feel. Sometimes we hide behind our anger. Maybe we hide behind our careers. We hide behind the criticism of others. We hide behind cynicism and sarcasm. We hide behind walls that we put up. Brene Brown has done more research on shame than probably anyone in the world. And she explains when talking about women that women have a tendency to experience shame primarily around appearance. Appearance and feeling imperfect in different areas of life. Shame says you are not enough, that you aren't enough physically, sexually, as a mother, as a wife, as a student, as an employee. You are simply not enough. So what you will see is this dynamic where women will pick on one another. 
to hide behind insults and pointing out the perceived shortcomings of other women. And I don't know if you've ever seen a group of women make fun of another group of women for being too assertive or too pretty or too focused on work or on the other end of the spectrum, too quiet or too ugly or too concerned about their family, whatever it is. But oftentimes women don't feel safe around other women because there's a profound sense of being damned if you do and damned if you don't, right? That's all about shame. Brene Brown has a whole chapter about this in her book, Daring Greatly, and she reflects on this tension that women feel. And these are all statements from her book. She says, be perfect, but don't make a fuss about it. And don't take time away from your family or your partner or your work to achieve your perfection. Don't upset or hurt anyone's feelings, but say what's on your mind. Dial the sexuality way up after the kids are down, the dog is walked and the house is clean, but dial it way down at the PTO meeting. Just be yourself but not if it means if you're shy or unsure. There's nothing sexier than self-confidence. Don't make people feel uncomfortable, but be honest. Don't get too emotional, but don't be too detached either. Too emotional and you're hysterical, too detached and you're cold-hearted. Ladies in the room, is any of this accurate? It all comes down to wanting to be enough, right? And shame hides in the should. I should do better. I should be better. I should look this way, be this way, act this way. Women will work hard to be the perfect wife, mom, employee, friend, Christian, whatever it is. And they do this so that they can tell themselves that they're doing it good enough. And they will become highly critical of themselves and of others as a way of hiding their sense of shame. Women constantly play the superior inferior game. I'm better than you, I'm worse than you. And either way, I don't have to be real with you. I'll be nice to you and slam you behind your back so I feel better about myself. They will become codependent, co-addicts, or control freaks in order to gain love and security and not have to feel their shame. I will let you control me or define me, or I will try to control you and define you, all as a way of hiding shame. Men, let me talk to you for a minute. You already know this, but shame has the exact same message for you. You are not enough. It's the same voice. But for men, it primarily revolves around performance and capitalizes on failure. In the moments where men fail, the voices we hear echo what we've heard in our past. You are weak. You are not a man. You are not enough. You are not the provider you should be. You are not the protector you should be. You are not smart enough. You're a screw up. You're a failure. You're worthless. Shame is about failure for men. It's why getting fired or messing up at work or underperforming in any way, shape, or form is literally one of the most shameful things that we can experience in our lives. So men, when we experience shame, what do we do? And usually it's one of two things. We either shut down entirely, especially emotionally, or we get really, really angry. So we either get really passive or really aggressive, but they are both just ways that we try to hide our shame. Because men, we've all grown up with a lot of experience experiences when we are weak, when we fell short, when we failed, and other people pounced. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was a spouse or an ex-girlfriend. Maybe it was a leader you trusted. Maybe it was your friends. They attacked and they pounced. And we hide behind being really either really passive or really aggressive. This is why for us as men, being criticized is one of the most shameful experiences that we can go through. And I'm not an expert on this, but I think for most men, our primary love language is words of affirmation. 
I think that's true for women as well, but I think it's more true for men. We really want attaboys. We really want praise. We really want the people in our life to tell us that we are doing a good job, that we are performing well. And when we don't get those things, shame creeps in. Doubt creeps in, insecurity creeps in, and shame starts to run our life. And then when we get the opposite of praise, when we get criticized, shame kicks down the door and invades our entire life. And again, when it does, what we do is we shut down and we hide and we don't take any risk. So we don't have to put ourselves in a place of being vulnerable again because we don't want to feel that way. And that's the goal. We never want to feel that way again. So either we shut down or we get so over the top aggressive that we headed off at the past so we don't have to feel that shame again. So we strike first and we strike hard. You see, shame is the reason that a lot of us men take the little things and make it a big thing. Things that seem like insignificant moments, we blow up or we shut down. Now, my main tendency is to get really, really aggressive. My main tendency is to protect myself. It's to push back so hard that people can't get close to me so they can't hold on to my mistakes, so that they can't shove my past back in my face, so they can't take the smallest piece of me. But when things really hurt, like really, really hurt, I hide. I tuck it away so that no one can see that it's impacting me, and I pretend to be strong because I don't want anyone to know that I am not okay. That's what I did with the email that my professor handed to me. I folded it back up and told everyone, that I was fine. I brought it home. I joked about it with my wife and my friends. I pretended like I shrugged it off. And then I put it into a folder in my backpack and read it over and over and over again for years. And I was so good at hiding it that while I was practicing this sermon with my wife, she said that she didn't even know how much it hurt me. So whether or not we did something to bring on the shame we feel or someone did something to us, we hide. We do what Adam and Eve did. We carry our shame in secret. We carry our shame and try to hide from God and others. We carry our shame and put up walls so that we don't get hurt again. We allow shame to define us and take over our identity. And we all do that. We all do that. So what do we do? What do we do when the enemy chooses shame to steal, kill, and destroy our mental health, our emotional health, our peace, our identity? How do we work through the shame that we have? Let's get back to the story in Genesis. This is what happens next. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And so Adam's saying, I'm afraid because I messed up so I'm trying to hide. But God seeks out Adam and Eve in their hiding, in their shame, in their sin. And some of you are trying to hide from God because of the shame you carry, and God is seeking you out. He doesn't want you to hide. Right? He's asking, where are you? Where are you? Why are you hiding? You don't need to hide You don't need to feel unworthy. You don't need to feel unlovable. You don't need to feel like a disgrace. Where are you? When God finds you, here's what he asks. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, who told you? Right, who told you that? 
And this is one of my favorite moments in the Bible. When God finds Adam and Eve, he asks them, who told you that you were naked? And what God is saying to them is, who told you that you needed to be ashamed? Yes, you screwed up. Yes, you sinned. But who told you that that was your identity now? Who told you that you needed to hide from me? Who told you that you were disgraced? Who told you that? And God asks us the same thing when we screw up, when we sin, when other people's sin forces shame on us. Who told you that you were unworthy of love and belonging? Because God never asks us to make our sin or someone else's sin our identity. He never requires that our mistakes become who we are. God sees us in our brokenness and asks, who said those things about you? And God shows us that we don't have to hide when we feel shame. So there are two takeaways that I wanna share with you all when it comes to battling the shame that we feel in our life. Because God is seeking us out and he doesn't want us to hide, but what do we do next? And this is it, write this down, this is so important. Freedom from shame comes from knowing how God sees us. Right? Freedom from shame comes from knowing how God sees us. This is why you need to read your Bible. Right? If you aren't reading your Bible on a regular basis, you're gonna miss about reading about how he truly sees you, right? how God truly feels about you. Because if you do, you'll read that God sees you as his prized possession, that God calls you his dearly loved child, that God calls you good, that God calls you loved, that God calls you his joy, that God calls you forgivable and redeemable, that God sees your sin and brokenness and says, you are worth saving. Freedom from shame comes from knowing how God sees you. And God doesn't see you as a disgrace, but worthy of his grace. And listen, I know that this is kind of an abstract action to combat shame to hold on to the fact that freedom come from shame comes from knowing how God sees us. So I actually wanna give you something tangible that you can do this week to help you with your shame. A few weeks ago, I was digging through my closet and as you can assume, it's pretty much just 50 black t-shirts. Uh, but I was looking for something different. I was looking for a gray shirt that day. And as I slid my shirts to my left in my closet, I actually came across a shirt that I've had for years. And as soon as I saw it, I was immediately reminded of shame that I carried from a former job because that's when I got the shirt. It was a shirt from a season of my life that I still carry shame from. And I stared at the shirt for a second and then I kept looking for the gray one. But here's the thing, for the rest of the day, I couldn't stop thinking about the past pain that that shirt reminded me of. So do you know what I did when I got home? Nothing, I didn't do anything. I have no idea, but for some reason, I'm holding on to this shirt, and every time I come across it, I'm reminded of someone telling me that I wasn't good enough. I'm reminded of someone telling me that I wasn't capable. I'm reminded of someone telling me that I wasn't worthy. Instead of giving it away or throwing it away, I've held on to the shirt, and that shirt has been in my closet for six years. Six years. And I thought it was just me who did this, but I mentioned it to my staff, and they said they've done the same thing. Right, held on to something, and in this case, clothes, that remind them of pain, of what he did, of what she said, of a time in their life that they've tried to move on from, of a time in their life that still brings them shame. And my guess is that you've done the same. Right, you have clothes that remind you of a time before you had kids, and instead of celebrating who you are now, you hold on to them. 
and all they do is bring you pain. You have clothes from a job that you no longer have and they remind you of how you fell short and how your boss told you that you weren't needed anymore. You have clothes from when you were dating someone and even though they were abusive and constantly put you down, those clothes still sit in your closet. You have clothes from a time in your life when you weren't following Jesus and you weren't doing things you're proud of, but you've held on to them and you've never fully moved on. And one of the things we do when it comes to shame is that we choose to hold on to it. And I don't know why we do this. I don't know why we hold on to things that bring us shame. I don't know why I held on to that email for years before throwing it away. I don't know why I still have this shirt. But I do know that we can take a step this week to tangibly remove reminders of shame from our life. So here's what we want you to do this week. We want you to go through your closet and your dresser and find the clothes that you are holding on to that bring you shame. And what we want you to do is we want you to bring them here next week and we're gonna collect them and we're gonna give them away. We're gonna bring them to the Frederick Rescue Mission and Rescued Treasures. And so we're gonna take these reminders of shame that we have and we're gonna bring purpose to that pain. We're gonna help people in this community who are in need. So bag them up and bring them here next Sunday and let go of some of the shame that you're holding on to. I wanna finish with this. Romans 5.8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In the middle of our sin, in the middle of our shame, God shows his love for us by sending his son to pay the price, to pay the debt that our sin creates. That is how God sees you. He doesn't see you based on what you've done or what someone else has done to you. He sees you how he intends for you to be seen. And that is why God is constantly seeking you out in your hiding. Not to shame you, but to show you that you are worthy of being loved by him. And in just a few moments, we're gonna celebrate Sierra who's getting baptized. And what we're celebrating is Sierra putting her faith in Jesus. We're celebrating Sierra choosing to see herself as God sees her, as loved, as valuable, as made new. And this is a special one. Sierra legitimately flew up here to be baptized today. Sierra had been coming to Collective when we were at West Frederick Middle School, but moved south for work. When the pandemic hit, she was searching for a church to attend and because she didn't have a local church, she reconnected with Collective. And one Sunday, Sierra checked the baptism box in her, collection, in her connection card. And faith and baptism have always been something that Sarah has been wrestling with for years. And we had conversations at West Frederick about it. But she told us that even though she's been through a lot in her life, including mental health and trauma, which eventually actually led to a suicide attempt, she told us that she wouldn't be here or alive today, but she's convinced God isn't done with her and she wants to follow him and has accepted that unconditional love. And that is the love that Jesus has for every single one of us, right? That's the love that God wants our identity to come from. And so we're gonna close out this series in the best way we know how, by celebrating Sarah and the new life that Jesus has for her, and the identity that he gives her that doesn't come from this world and doesn't come from mistakes and doesn't come from other people, but from a God who loves her. Let's pray. God, I know that, that I and, and so many people in this room carry shame every single day. And God, sometimes we power through, but most of the time it just wears us down. And God, we can see this shame impacting our relationships and our marriages and how we raise our kids and, and God, ultimately how we approach you. So God, we pray this week as we hold on to these things that we've done or what other people have done to us, 
God, that this is a week where we can begin to let go. God, that we can begin to understand that shame doesn't come from you. God, that shame comes from an enemy who hates us and wants nothing more to see us destroyed. But God, in that, you seek us out. God, that you are pursuing us. God, that you want to find us. And God, ultimately, what you want to do is you want to bring our identity closer to you, and you want us to understand that you love us. God, that for some reason, even in our mistakes, that we are your prized possession. God, that for some reason in our shame, we bring you joy. So God, I pray this week that we hold on to that. God, that we let go of the shame, that we get rid of those clothes, delete that email, remove that text, whatever it is, God, the things that we're holding on to that bring identity that doesn't come from you, God, I pray that we get rid of those this week and instead focus on the way that you see us, which is lovable and worthy and redeemable and good. God, we love you and pray this in your name. Amen.